0: Well, we are for our third week in Ephesians 5 and looking at marriage. And we began with Christ in the church and then at the obligation of husband to love as uh, Christ uh, loved the church, to love his wife. And today we are looking at the wife's uh, command, uh, the command to the wife to submit to her husband. And one of the interesting things about this text before I read it is that the verb submit is not used in verse 22 or verse 24 in relation to the wife. It's not in the Greek. It's good English to include it, and we'll discuss that in a moment. But as I read this, I'm going to to follow, as it were, the Greek text in uh, my English reading. And then I will explain uh, why the Apostle Paul structures his instructions in that way. This is God's word for us today. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled by the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, to your own husbands, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should in everything to their husbands. I invite you now to join me in our prayer of illumination found in our worship bulletin. Our Father, we have heard wonderful things out of thy word. We praise you for revealing Christ as the fulfillment of the Old Testament and ask you to give us your spirit so that we may understand the fullness of your truth. Amen. Please be seated. There is an outline in our bulletin. Uh, you can see uh, the first point is the church's submission to Christ is the paradigm for the wife's submission to her husband. The second point is Christ's headship over the church unites all things. And the third point is that Christian marriage bears witness to gospel unity. In many circles of our society, submission is a non-starter. Submission of a wife to her husband and given the world's view of a a woman's uh, relationship and human sexuality this is an incomprehensible idea it could get christians biblical christians branded as the most extreme of uh, bigots now the bible has a truly different framework for human sexuality that's one of the things we've been explaining and exploring the last few weeks and And I heard this put recently in this way, that in the Bible, human sexuality is a cosmic and spiritual reality. That's our framing for this whole discussion about marriage. And in the world today, rather, uh, human sexuality is about personal self-creation, personal identity, personal exploration, and um, personal pleasure. And we began this series by seeing how how the world is drifting further and further away from marriage. How marriage is is decidedly on the rocks. There's a a rise of unbelievers in the world. And that, that tendency, a rise of those who affiliate with no religious tradition, that tendency is being pushed forward by the falling apart of the family. And I want to go a little bit further upstream here of our culture. Not just the institution of marriage, but men and women. The relationship of male and female made in the image of God. And that's what's at stake here when we talk about how we frame this understanding of Paul's instruction for wives. Now, I don't endorse the entirety of it, but perhaps some of you may have heard of a a recent proposal uh, by someone named Aaron Wren, sort of a a Christian cultural critic, who talks about the three worlds. He said, we all used to live in a world, American culture, broadly speaking, uh, where the world was, was positively disposed to the Christian faith. When you joined a church, it was a good way to get in with the civic associations, to do business in town, to get to know people. It was a plus category if there were LinkedIn profiles back at this time, right? It would have been a good thing. What's your church affiliation? That's the positive world. And then there was a period where there was a neutral world, where the church kind of, the world kind of became indifferent about Christians and their confession of faith. No positive benefit accrued. But uh, Aaron Wren describes us today as living in, In a negative world. The world is negatively disposed to the things of Christ and the gospel. He says one of the ways to think about this is not how particular answers are given to what is the nature of marriage. Uh, Is it a lifelong binding relationship between two people? He says no, it's a big framework. And if you don't understand that they're talking about an entirely different framework, you're just going to talk past one another. And this, brothers and sisters, uh, I think... It's fair to say is probably the greatest friction point with our culture, the greatest place where Christians like you and I feel like the world is negatively predisposed against us, against our our view of biblical human sexuality. Marriage between a man and a a woman, two sexes, male and female, made, created in the image and likeness of God. And the framework that's so important for us to recover before we can even hear the instructions about submission today, before we can defend them, is that there's this grand cosmic gospel truth behind man being created male and female. And we saw that when Paul anchors this in Christ and the church in Genesis 2.24. That's the real point of disagreement. What is the meaningfulness of our existence? Are we made in the image of God? And if so, for what purpose? Purpose. Human sexuality is ultimately and finally a spiritual and cosmic reality. I'll try to unpack that a little bit. Paul calls it a profound mystery. Man's creation pointed toward man's consummation. Man's creation as male and female, the union of male and female in marriage that creates one body, brings unity out of diversity comprised of a head and its members, points to the reality of Christ and the church, Christ and all creation, and ultimately, as Paul tells us in Corinthians, the consummation of all things under the headship of God. The world, in contrast, believes that we can all be our own gods. There's an infinite diversity, and it never resolves. It never unites in reflection of the glory and image of its creator. So which is it? Is human sexuality a cosmic and spiritual reality? Or is it merely an expression of an infinite number of random outcomes we ought to use to maximize our pleasure and individuality? That's the question. And we need to answer and understand that question before we can hear what Paul has to say. There's no room for submission in self-creation and personal expression. There's no room for submission in the world's version of personal pleasure. There's no room for submission in the world's understanding of personal fulfillment. It's like oil and water. So we need to understand Paul's theology. We have to do theology. We have to understand what we believe about God, creation, man, before we can do ethics, how we should behave. Now, I can imagine an objection to this sermon. But pastor, just explain how I need to submit. (laughs) But this isn't what Paul does, is it? He does theology. He talks about Christ. He talks about creation. He talks about the church. And this is how he believes he can power and motivate and drive men and women, husbands and wives, and single people, as we'll see, living out their callings in this world in a faithful way. So let me begin here with the first point. The church's submission to Christ is the paradigm for the wife's submission to her husband in marriage. And it's important to note again that this entire set of instructions for household relations, husbands, wives, parents, children, kids, get ready, next week. Excited for that one? Obey your parents and all things. Looking forward to that. Servants, masters. All these things are subsumed under the church submitting to one another. Paul teaches that Christians in the body of Christ are filled by the spirit through four activities. Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always for everything to God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And fourth and finally, submitting to one another out of the fear of Christ. And then, sub-bullets, the rest of chapter 5 and into chapter 6. That's where we are in Paul's outline. All household relations are a manifestation, a reflection of the mutual submission that characterizes all of our activity in the body of Christ. Walking in love and pursuing unity are achieved through this. Marriages build up the unity of the church. Children, parent relationships build up the unity of the church and our unity with Christ. Servants and masters build up the unity of the church. This is spirit-filling activity. And this is the goal of the Christian life, this side of glory. And here's the thing that's quite striking about uh, what we read this morning, this transition. In the Greek text of 522-24, to 24, the verb submit is never used with reference to wives. Instead, it is merely implied. And if you've ever studied a classical language, Greek or Latin, this is perfectly fine form. This is called using an ellipsis, the little three dots, skipping a verb because it would be redundant because he just used it in the previous uh, sentence. There's no verb, so the prior verb is operative in the next phrase. We read, submitting to one another out of the fear of Christ, wives to your own husbands, as to the Lord. But he does it again in verse 24. Paul does it not once but twice back to back. Kind of interesting. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives to their husbands in all things. Again, perfectly good Greek. And I'm not downplaying at all that there is a commandment here to wives to submit to their husbands. But how does Paul communicate it? And why does he communicate it in this way? Paul is telling us something very important about how and why a wife should submit to her husband, her own husband. It is because of or grounded upon and ultimately motivated by the prior submission of the church to Christ. This is the point we made two weeks ago. The profound mystery of Christ and the church becoming one flesh is both logically and chronologically prior to the establishment of marriage in the Garden of Eden. What? Like Jesus didn't come till, you know, 2000 years ago. And the Garden of Eden is a lot longer before that, depending on what kind of calendar you keep. We know this because of what Paul writes in chapter 1. The Father chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world that we might be holy and blameless before him in love. That is the first arranged marriage recorded in the Bible. The groom and the bride, chosen before the foundation of the world, to be one, to be holy and blameless. And he uses the same expression here in chapter 5. He says... That Christ gave himself up for his bride that he might present her holy and blameless to himself in splendor. That word for splendor is glory. It's glorification. So he accomplishes what he promised in eternity past. Notice that in the first instance, in verse 22, the wife's submission for her husband is a subset of the submission of individual believers in church to every other individual. Males submit to males, females submit to females, males submit to females, females submit to males. All individuals submit to all other individuals in the church. But in the second case, the reference is corporate. The church is viewed as a corporate unity submitting as a whole to Christ. And this forms an envelope, as it were. Church, marriage, church, marriage. Envelope around this central idea. Now, this is really a huge contrast to the sister letter, Colossians, where Paul just says, Wives submit to their husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Much simpler, much more direct. So both of these things are true. I'm not denying that. The church is the primary source of our submission. And marriage is a special case. A special case grounded in creation itself. Now for those of you who are not married, this is one of these points of application, right? This text speaks to you. It tells you directly in no uncertain terms that you are to submit to one another. That you are to submit corporately in this body to our Lord Jesus Christ. Submission is for all believers. Whether you're young and not yet married, whether you've never been married and never are married. And Paul elsewhere, whole nother topic, whole nother sermon, really upbuilds and elevates the single life. I wish you could all be like me, he says. I'm trying to do ministry, and it's kind of cool that I'm not married. I'm free. It's a totally different sermon. Here he's Painting an ideal picture. This is sort of the Thomas Kincaid version of marriage, right? It's really beautiful. I'm sorry, that might have brought some bad connotations as well. <laughs> but so we have this very tightly structured. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Then there's this phrase in the middle, he's the savior of the body. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands and submissions, by these two phrases... um, I'm sorry, husbands. Headship and submission are linked together. They're two sides of a coin. If you have a head, if a body has a head, the body is submitting to that head. And they're linked by this central phrase. It's very odd, and it doesn't come out really clearly in our English translation. It's four Greek words. He is the savior of his body. Huh? Like What's Paul talking about? He is the savior of his body? The first comparison is between the headship of the husband and the headship of Christ. And then the second one is between the submission of the church and the submission of wives. And in this crucial central position is this phrase. And I think it's it's describing Christ's headship. i was going to use a grammatical term, but I've already done too much. I've reached my grammar limit for the sermon. It's describing Christ's headship. And it's saying how Christ's headship is not like the husband's. There's a parallel here. Christ is the savior of his body. It's pretty different. <laughs> Husbands, you don't save your wives in that way. Christ's headship is saving. And when the church becomes one flesh with Christ in marriage, he saves her. This is a saving union, brothers and sisters. That's how we are saved. By being united to Christ in faith. In baptism, she's buried with him in his death. And he's raised in his resurrection. And only when you are saved, only when you are a member of the body of Christ, can you begin to emulate This church-Christ relationship in your marriage. Again, Paul is addressing... He talks about different things in in other letters. But here he's addressing a Christian husband and a Christian wife. It's a special subset. This isn't everything the Bible says about marriage. And this is what I mean when I say that human sexuality expressed in marriage between a man and woman is a cosmic spiritual reality. Christ's marriage is undoing sin and the curse. It is based upon and patterned after Christ's saving marriage with his body, the church. Paul already spoke about this in chapter 2. If you have your Bibles open or your phone, slide back. About verse 13. Now in Christ Jesus, you who were once. He's talking about Jews and Gentiles. But it's the same process of undoing sin and death and reuniting what was divided. Now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one. Kind of marriage language, right? And has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two. That's the new Adam. That's the cosmic Christ. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, killing hostility. Paul's been talking about this through the whole letter. Marriage is his climax. The saving work of Christ is the unifying work of Christ. He creates a new man, new humanity. Breaking down hostility between Jew and Gentile, between every other group that is opposed to one another, every sinfully opposed group. He reconciles us both to God in one body. And this is the work of new creation. Bringing all things, the whole cosmos, in its ultimate consummation under God the Father. The new creation reality is what Paul is describing in Ephesians 4 and 5 and 6 and why he says there's unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, one body, one spirit. And not only does this new creation unity break down hostility between Jew and Gentile, it also breaks down the hostility between Eve and Adam. That common curse we read about reverses that great divorce brought down upon them in Genesis 3. The last Adam and the last Eve, oh, she becomes a life-giving mother. Wives, by way of application, the submission you are called to show your husband is nothing other than a species, a subset of the general submission you are called to show Christ and to show to all members of the body of Christ as to the Lord, Paul says. It is powered by the same gospel. It is motivated by the same love of Christ. I can imagine, maybe I've heard something like this in a college dorm room 30 years ago, I could never submit to a man in everything. And the Christian woman is asked by Paul, can you submit to Christ? Have you submitted to Christ? How do we do this? We'll see here. That this is the most important thing Paul wants us to know. That we work this out. So the second point here. Christ's cosmic headship unites all things. The wife's submission is based upon the husband's headship. That's what Paul says here. And this in turn is by analogy, not identical, but similar to the headship of Christ over the church. And we read in the New Testament that Christ is putting all things under his feet. So it's important that we think for a moment about Christ's headship and what it means. Wives, your submission to Christ's headship is the reason you submit to your husband's headship, as to the Lord. Again, theology before ethics. Again, point of application, just to interrupt my flow of thought a little bit, for the single women in the room, for those who desire to be married, as well as the single men, really, look for a husband, a Christian husband, who wants to love you as Christ loved the church, because that's what Paul is calling you to submit to, That's the most important thing you could find. Pray for and seek. Notice that Paul has already introduced this whole theme, this whole topic in chapter 1. In verse 10, we were told that the plan of salvation is a plan to unite all things in Christ in the fullness of time. And later in verse 22, he explains this further when he writes that at the time of the resurrection, God put all things under his feet. It's an allusion to Psalm 8. And he gave him his head, there's that word, over all things to the church. Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all things. All things under his feet is submission. It's the same verb. He has submitted all things to Christ, the head of his body. Paul's using all these same words from chapter 5. Christ, head, submission, body, church. And in chapter 4, he tells us more about this. He says, he gave apostles and prophets and evangelists to shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up, what? The body of Christ. Until we attain to the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to the new Adam. Actually, it's translated to mature manhood. (laughs) But that's what he's saying. To the new creation, Adam. To the measure and stature of Christ that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves, carried about by every wind. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Ephesians is the letter of the church. And it's the letter of the church because from chapter 1 to chapter 2 to chapter 3 to chapter 4 to chapter 5, he's talking about the body of Christ. Christ. This is how we come to know our head here in the church. The end point of this headship isn't just salvation. It's the restoration of all things. This is the cosmic aspect of Christ's headship. Pastor, what are you talking about? Like, what is this, Star Trek, cosmic, what? 1 Corinthians 15, verse 27. Six times Paul uses submission in a few verses here. Then comes the end. When he, Jesus, delivers the kingdom of God to the Father... After destroying every rule and every authority and power. This is the victory march. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Submission. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. Submission. When it says that all things are put in subjection. It is plain that he has accepted who put all things in subjection. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who puts all things in subjection under him that God may be all in all. Jesus himself will submit. He did in the incarnation. And then he leads glorious victory over sin and death and the devil. That beast. Read the book of Revelation. All the horrors of this world, all the abuses of God's creation are destroyed and put right. And then Jesus delivers up everything and submits to his father. Now, Jesus doesn't destroy his bride. Not in her rebellion. He woos her. He loves her. He washes her and purifies her. He makes her holy and blameless. And she becomes his new Eve. And the two of them, the last Adam, the last Eve, together they conquer. Elsewhere, Paul says that that we trample underfoot The devil, just as Jesus does in the church. What do you think chapter 6 is about? The spiritual warfare, the armament we need as a church to conquer and to help him subject all things. We together with Christ are partners on the battlefield of spiritual warfare. The gospel, the goal is wholehearted subjection to God. All of creation will wholeheartedly subject itself to God. Philippians 2, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that brings us to our third point. Christian marriage bears witness to this gospel unity. Christ's self-sacrificial love wins the church, his body. He gives himself up for his bride of the cross. His blood brings those who are far off near and he breaks down the wall of hostility. He unites those who are at enmity with each other. Among those whom the blood of Christ unites are husbands and wives. Genesis 3, the curse on the serpent brings good news, the gospel. God will not allow this rebellion to succeed. He will put enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. And the woman's seed, Jesus, will crush the serpent's head. Interesting, that headship gets smashed. The serpent will no longer be Eve's head. She has a new head. Her child, the fruit of this union, will crush that serpent. But Genesis 3.16 includes some bad news. There's common grace and there's also a common curse. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. I've done a handful of weddings for members of our church. I've never had anyone ask me to preach on that text for a wedding. not very popular the unity of Genesis 2 the unity promised to becoming one flesh has become a battlefield sin disrupts marital marital unity sin disrupts all unity it makes us selfish the wife's desire is contrary to her husband but he rules over her because of the relationship of creation The difference between husbands and wives baked into our DNA as we reflect the image of God, male and female, not as unequal, but with a hierarchical relationship. With the the man being created of the dust of the earth and the wife being created from the man, the woman being created from this man. There is a disruption. He rules over her. In sin, he abuses this relationship. What was designed for a vehicle of self-sacrificial love has become an impulse to dominate and control. Not just marriage, all human sexuality. Isn't it great how the liberating movements of the 20th century, the 60s, the 20s, the 30s, the pill, oh, they've created such wonderful liberation for women and men, haven't they? Bondage, slavery, destruction, death, and the serpent so happy. Marriage in a fallen world drives us to Christ shows our need of grace like nothing else. One commentator on this text writes that the, the power of sin in our lives presents us, prevents us from giving ourselves to God, our brothers and sisters in Christ, and to our spouses. That's sin. Sin does not only prevent us giving ourselves in personal relationships, it also controls how we act in them. When we relate to others in the presence of fear, the absence of trust, and the experience of alienation, the core of our human experience easily lends itself To domination and control. And this pattern is broken in the church. It's broken by the new creation. It's broken by the sacrificial, selfless love of Christ, our head. And as a result, Christian marriages are no longer bound to remain forever in the realm of this common curse. The gospel unlocks the power of new creation. When the world strips Christ out of marriage, out of human sexuality, it's left with a self Centered, abusive battleground. Strength and weakness, manipulation, domination, ruler and rule. But the pattern of the Savior's selfless love and the saved, loving submission destroys this cycle. Christ woos his bride. The Old Testament image is he, he finds her by the side of the road. An infant, still in afterbirth, washes her, cares for her, nurtures her. Up to marriage age, 15 years, clothes her. He woos his bride. And the Christian husband is now called to mirror this love. Yes, he will fail. It's great having a 16-year-old daughter. Dad, I have one question about that sermon last week. I I get submission to Christ, but how do you submit to a sinner? It's a good question. I don't think I have an easy answer. But one answer is, as to the Lord. Paul is painting for us an ideal, beautiful picture of the wife's submission. In all things, you don't get to pick and choose. And the husband's love. And they're both portrayed for us ideally. In other words, the wife is here portrayed as submitting to a loving, nurturing husband. She submits as to Christ. He loves as Christ loves. The submission is not carte blanche, I would submit. Of course, you don't submit to the breaking of God's law. You don't submit to death and destruction and hate. You don't submit to the sin in your husband's heart. You submit to his love. And this is why we're called to be equally yoked in marriage as Christians and believers. Marriage is hard enough with a believing spouse. (laughs) I'm the product of a marriage. Hi, mom. She's usually watching. That was unequally yoked. Many of you have been, I'm sure. Just a lot of pain. It's a submission to a husband's selfless love. All Christians are called to love one another. To walk in love as Christ loved them and to give themselves up. All Christians are called to submit to one another. Yet in marriage, wives and husbands are given a gift. That their submission can portray a picture of the unity of Christ in the church. A picture of the gospel. This gift is given to be a building block of the church's unity, of society, of culture. A unifying force, a glue that holds our broken world together. And so as we struggle to live out this high calling, Paul gives us profound theological principles, but precious few rules or instructions. His concern is that we have the proper theological framework to live out this marriage. Again, I've read these words earlier. But Paul said earlier in chapter 5, verse 15, to work out our salvation, to work out our faith with wisdom. And Steve Ball writes, she submits with wisdom and careful reflection on biblical truths that bear on this issue. Ideally, this whole issue of a wife's submission to a, a domineering, abusive husband never becomes a problem or an issue between a man and a wife when a godly husband lovingly cherishes his wife as Christ cherishes the church. But both wives and husbands must pray for and exercise wisdom in their submission and their love. And when husband and wife pursue this godly calling together, we join arms and forces with Christ on this battlefield, submitting all things to spiritual warfare, brothers. Satan hates a happy marriage. Satan hates a happy unified church. He goes after these things stronger than anything else. But we are empowered by the gospel and by the spirit to bring unity and the love of Christ to the ground zero of original sin. Broken relationships between husbands and wives. And as members of the final Eve, the church, we now have the privilege till he returns in glory of being a life-giving mother to all. Let's pray. Merciful God, we pray that your instructions for marriage would build up your church. And we pray that they would be grounded on and and flow from your love for your church. Merciful God, we pray that you would show us the way in our particular marriages. Give us wisdom. Give charity and grace to our conversations. Help us to listen and love. Help us to care and nourish. Help us to build one another up. Lord, we pray that you inhabit by your spirit our homes. And we pray for all of those dear Lord. In all stages of life. Who you have called to singleness. And we know that your word has abundant praise and instruction for them. We pray dear Lord that they would be encouraged. That they would be strengthened. That they too as the bride of Christ are able to manifest. This beautiful gospel reality. Into a fallen and broken world. Dear Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Amen.